Good morning, church. So I've learned a new thing about Brian that I didn't know previously. So Brian, I'll be talking to our worship pastor shortly. <laughs> so good to be with you all here this morning. I feel like I need a step to step on here. I'm pretty short and this is pretty big. I'm so glad to be here. It reminded me this morning of coming in and getting to guest teach of uh, an event that was similar about 36 years ago for me. I was a youth pastor out in Reno, Nevada, and uh, we had planted a church way out in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. And they needed, uh, the pastor was on vacation and they needed someone to fill the pulpit. So I said, sure, I would love to. Now there's a couple things that might be important here to let you know that I needed to grow in wisdom. The first was, 36 years ago, I looked like a student instead of the student pastor. So I was a little bit young looking. But the, that I had nothing to do with. But the, the wisdom part here was a guy in our church who helped lead my college ministry there, he was pretty well to do. And he said, you don't want to take your little Datsun B210 all the way out there. It was like a 90 minute drive. He goes, why don't you take one of my cars? And I naively said, yeah, that, that'd be great. What do you have? So I pull over to his house to, to switch cars, and it's a Porsche. <laughs> I'm thinking all of that in a bag of chips. I'm like, this is awesome. And so I drive up to this church. I'm just rehearsing the sermon. And all of a sudden, I pull up to the church. It's this little building, little building with a gravel parking lot. And there's clear windows, not stained glass windows, all the way around. And all of a sudden, I realize what a mistake I've made. Not only do I look like a kid, I'm somehow pulling off looking like a rich kid. <laughs> so when I get up to introduce myself, I have to say, first of all, I'm about 27 years old, not 17, and that's not my car. <laughs> so I'm about 36 older, years older than that, and I drove my truck. So I think we're all, we're all good here this morning. So um, I just want to thank you for the opportunity for Karen and I to come this morning. And as I was um, talking with Darren kind of through email, just saying, well, what does your congregation need? I don't want to just give something like, what, what is it that they need? And so I just, keep, I just kept asking God, what is it this body of believers here needs this morning? So I'm praying and believing that what we have this morning is what God's bringing to you. And so may God just add from his word, what your hearts and what your minds need today. So this morning, our scripture is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you want to turn there, that would be great, because we're going to spend all of our time there. So having gotten to be a pastor for about 40 years, uh, one of the things that's been really, really helpful in my life is being surrounded by people who are prayer people listening to people pray. I came to faith like two weeks before I graduated from high school, and the church I grew up in, I never heard the gospel, and prayers kind of were very kind of stained glass, big words that didn't understand really much of anything they had to say. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is how Paul, throughout the epistles, is not just doing circumstantial or urgent prayers, but what I call strategic prayers. Strategic prayers. Now, 
As I've looked back, and I've still got some ways to go, I hope, in pastoring and shepherding, I've looked back and have some regrets, a few. And one of the regrets um, that I've had that I'm trying to, even this morning, um, change if I can, is this. I'm not always sure we helped everybody learn how to pray. Like, I heard people in church praying from here and in the pews, and it was great. Um, but I'm, in, I'm about to finish two years in a spiritual direction school that's contemplative. And one of the ways that I'm learning to pray is through listening prayer. Listening prayer. There's conversational prayer. There are um, centering prayers. There's circumstantial. And today we're going to talk about strategic. Of course, God's word clearly says that we should learn to pray without ceasing. Have a spirit of prayer. And that we should also um, not only just have that, but fervent prayer. Are your prayers fervent? Like deep, from the heart, from the gut. It's like, oh. One of the things that I get to do at the church that um, I came from this morning is sit with people who are in crisis. And uh, yesterday afternoon, I had somebody in our congregation call and said, I really need some help. Uh, a neighbor of ours their son, their um, college-age son, died in a, a, you know, a four-wheeler accident. He goes, I'm just not sure what to do, what to say. And I said, be like a hummingbird. Just kind of drop in a little bit and pull out. They don't, they're not going to hear a lot of what you have to say, but you can pray. Just kind of move in and move out as time goes on because it's just so hard for them. But we can pray without ceasing. We can pray fervently. And today we're going to talk about how Paul prays strategically. So um, I'm going to actually share with you as we get into this scripture in just a minute. Well, what I mean by strategic prayer. So in this particular chapter, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter to those in Colossae, the Colossians. And what's leaked into the church there is all sorts of non-biblical theology and doctrine. Gnosticism is one of those things that leaked into the church. And so Paul's hearing about that, even though he'd never really actually been with the people at this church. He's writing to them. And he has some really strong things to say as we read. And this from verse 9. This is Paul writing from prison to those in Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We could just stop right there and preach a sermon. I'm pretty sure. We have never stopped praying for you. We continually ask, and here's how he is praying strategically. We ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
So what we're going to do for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, is kind of take apart this strategic prayer. Now, we all know the Lord's Prayer. But even as you study the Lord's Prayer, what was the question the disciples asked him? It wasn't, Lord, teach us a prayer. He said, teach us how to pray. How do you pray, Jesus? You obviously have effective prayer. Could you teach us how to pray? And we took teach us how to pray and put it into a prayer. But Jesus was actually doing instructional uh, teaching on how to pray. Well, this morning, we're going to do some instruction on strategic prayer. Instead of circumstantial prayer, which we're called to do, praying for that brother who called me yesterday, trying to figure out how he can show the love of God to his neighbor who lost their son tragically in an accident. That's definitely circumstantial and urgent prayer, right? Me praying for the sermon this morning that God's word would just dwell in your hearts and your minds to bring about change and transformation. That's, that's strategic and circumstantial prayer. So how do we pray strategically? Because what I know is this, our circumstances change daily, don't they? Mine do, sometimes hour by hour. Again, getting to do what I do at our church. Sometimes my phone will blow up with emergencies throughout the day, several. And those are definitely times to pray urgently and fervently and for those circumstances. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I get worn out praying circumstantially all the time. I feel like I'm just kind of covering the basis of what's going on in that situation. So as we walk through these verses, I thought, well, I need to make, bring this real. So this morning, I literally brought in what is my kind of prayer guide that I keep in my Bible and my journal. And I'm going to kind of share with you a little bit how I pray strategically. Maybe this will help. So I pray for Karen and, and the things that go on in her life circumstantially, but strategically, I'm gonna share with you what I pray for her each day outside of the circumstances of her life. On Mondays, my prayer is that she would be filled with overflowing with God and the fruit of the Spirit. There's no circumstantial prayer there. I'm praying for the circumstances of her life, but I'm praying deeper, more strategically. On Tuesday, I pray for her health and her place with God and her purpose in her life. Strategic. Tuesdays, or Wednesdays, I pray that um, God would help Karen to have influence and for her to see herself as God sees herself. You hearing the difference there? I know the circumstances going on in her life and I'm praying for those, but I'm praying beyond those. On Thursday, I pray that Karen would have her wounds healed and they would be actually used for God's glory and for other people's benefit. So that's a part of how I pray for Karen. I have, we have kids and we have grandkids. Some of the strategic prayers, I pray for them. I pray for their marriages and their identity in Christ to be strong. I pray for our grandkids to be loved by God well and to love him passionately. On Tuesdays, I pray that they become lifelong learners and be mentored and have mentors in their lives. I pray for our grandkids to be strong and courageous, that they would be loyal and adventurous. So throughout this, I'm not just praying 
for their circumstances, which I definitely do. But I, those things are going to change. They change in your life. Right? But if we can learn to pray strategically, I wonder, and I don't know your church. I don't know that much about your church. But I wonder, you know, back in the day, this kind of looks like the church that I said yes to Jesus in. And I remember first hearing the saints, the older saints. I was a 17-year-old kid praying because I didn't know how to pray. And I listened to them pray. I'm like, I've got some learning to do. I don't know what kind of praying church. Do y'all have prayer meetings anymore? Do you gather together to pray on a regular basis as a church? You can nod your head or give me feedback. Like, do you? Like in the church, I kind of, like I said, found Jesus in. They used to have Wednesday night prayer meetings. If we tried to do that at my church, well, actually we do on Wednesday nights. It's not really a prayer meeting, but it's a drop-in. And there's, you know, in a church of about 1,200, there's about 20, 22 people that show up out of that many people. It would be really hard to ask people to come to a prayer meeting anymore. Is that a good thing? I'm not sure. So praying strategically as Paul called us to pray. So here we go. We're going to dive into this pretty deep this morning in the time that we have. So our pastor at our church prays about, uh, preaches about 45 minutes. Y'all good? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Darren told me how long to go. So, <laughs> so <clears throat> Paul begins here, first of all, in verse 9. Since the day I heard about you and your church, I haven't stopped praying for you. Throughout all of the epistles, and if you're looking for a place... Maybe you're a little dry in your Bible reading or you're looking for something a little more strategic. Throughout all the epistles, you can find Paul praying strategically. Several times he says, I kneel before the Father in whom all glory. And then he goes on and tells them how he prays. So if you're looking to grow in your prayer life or to grow strategically or just grow in your knowledge of God's word, spend time in the strategic prayers of Paul in the epistles. So what he's saying here is, I haven't stopped praying for you. I pray, pray, pray for you. He's known as a strategic prayer. And by the way, as a church, as a community, are you praying strategically, not just circumstantially? And by the way, the word community, if you take that word apart, the word unity is there in the middle of community. One of the great ways you can come together as a church in unity is to pray strategically together and to pray circumstantially. Uh, I was able to go, as Darren said, to a great Christian college. I was brand new to the faith. I barely had a Bible. I didn't know there was like the book of Ecclesiastes there. So at chapel three times a week, somebody would open the word. Most of the kids that went to that college grew up in great churches. I did not. So when they said, open your Bible to Ecclesiastes, I like had to go to the index and go, where is that? I didn't know my way around. But being in that place, I learned my way around. But I noticed something that I kind of saw through. Most of the students, when we would share prayer requests, said this. I don't know if I'm stepping on anybody's toes here. I'm stepping on my own. Oh, I'll pray for you. You familiar with that? Oh, I'll pray for you. And I kind of caught on because as I was sharing deep prayer requests, 
What became clear was they never came back to me and said, how did it go? I'm like, well, did you really pray or were you just being Christian nice? And so, as I saw through that, and maybe their intentions were really good, but follow through, not so sure. And I started to fall into that place. So, being a person who wanted to make good on my promises, I said, why don't I just stop and pray for you right now? So we would just stop and pray. And if God brought that prayer request back to my heart, I would pray for them. But rather than promise, I just said, let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. So literally, let's pray right now. I'm gonna lead us in prayer. No, that doesn't mean the sermon's done. <laughs> I wanna pray right now. Would you pray with me right now? God, more than anything, I want your word this morning to penetrate our hearts and our minds. I know it's what you want, God. Lead us and guide us, I pray. Help us to hear your word well. And God, what, whatever anybody is carrying right now, God, may they obey your instruction to cast all of their cares upon you because you care for them. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. You're our Father. You care deeply. Lead us now, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is saying to all of us, I'm praying continually for you. And he's really praying strategically. So as we look in verse 9, he says, I'm asking. So he's giving the prayer now. This is how I'm praying for you. I'm asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul was aware there was false teaching going on, and so he's praying for them to have spiritual knowledge and wisdom. He's praying circumstantially, but he's also praying strategically here. He's not just naming the things they need to be aware of. He's praying bigger than that. I'm praying that you'll have spiritual wisdom and knowledge, understanding. How can we pray? We can pray this way, that God would fill you with knowledge of his will. How many people have come to you in your lifetime and said, I need help in knowing God's will for my life? Anybody here besides me? Raise your hands if you've ever had somebody ask you. Come on, get them up high. I need to know I'm not alone here. Higher, come on. We're going to test our, you know, here we go. All right, if you had somebody come to you and ask you to help them understand God's will for their life, like... It doesn't say in here who you should marry, what college you should go to, what job you should take. It's not in here, as far as I know, right? So can you see why it's important that Paul says, I'm praying for you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding, knowledge of God's will. So one of the things I know is this. When I was raising kids, we were raising kids, um, our kids got to know our voices. So if we're in our crowd, and we needed to yell because we couldn't see them. We would just say their names. And if anybody else said their names, they wouldn't look. But if we said their name, they would look because they would know our voice. The sound of our voice. And oftentimes, they knew which parent to go to to get something. Anybody relate to that at all? The no parent, the yes parent, right? 
That's because they knew the character of their parents. And in this case, when it comes to knowing God's will, I'm just going to say this. Sometimes God's not always so specific, but I believe this with everything in my heart, that the more we're in God's word, God's word gets into us. We will know the heart and the character of God. And so when it comes to knowing his will, we just know his character and we know his character. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12, what Romans 12, 2 says. So since God's not always specific about his will, we can know his character through his word. It's like hearing his voice. Should I, you know, take this job? Should I sell this house? Should I do that? Well, that's not clearly in the Bible. But as we get to know, like, God's character, we're going to follow the things, the principles, the character of God on those things. So Paul's saying here, I'm praying for you to have spiritual understanding and knowledge and wisdom. Do you, Grace Church, pray that for one another? You know that people in this congregation are seeking God's will on things. Are you praying those kinds of strategic prayers? A book that really impacted my life early in my faith, I wonder if some of you have read it, In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. Anybody read In His Steps in here? Anybody? You need to pick up this classic. It's an amazing book. The book is all about this small town pastor who is living in a, who's preaching at a dying church and he's like had it. He's ready to resign. He goes, I can't do this anymore. And so he preached a sermon. He said, it's probably going to be my last sermon, but here it goes. I want to spend the rest of my life doing what Jesus would do and it's going to probably cost me everything. If there's anybody who would join me in the choir room after the service, who wants to join me and to figure out what it would be like to really live as Jesus would, meet me in the choir room after the service. Now, back in the, I think it was the 90s, there was a real popular little bracelet that came out. Do you all remember? What would Jesus do? It happened because a youth pastor had read that book in his steps. And he challenged his youth group to go, what would it be like if we truly lived our lives like Jesus would? We based every decision around this idea of what would Jesus do in this particular situation. It's a phenomenal book. I really recommend it highly to you. So Paul goes on to pray. He goes, so I'm praying this way for you. And in verse 10, he gives us a whole lot of ways that he's praying. So A, that you would live your life in a way that is worthy of pleasing God. Circumstantial or strategic? Definitely strategic. Bearing fruit in every good thing that you do. Strategic. Growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Again, strategic. So that you may have great endurance and patience. And then joyfully giving thanks to God. So this idea of bearing fruit in every good work. Do you as a church even talk about what God's doing through you? It's not about you, but what has God been doing through you? Have you had a chance recently um, to share Christ, to give a reason for the hope that you have within you, in season and out? Are you sharing together as a church prayer requests that are being answered in, in ways that you prayed or that God delivered? That's bearing fruit. 
How are you as a church doing this very thing in prayer? Are you praying that you all would bear fruit in every good thing that you do? It's a strategic prayer. That you would live your life worthy of pleasing Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's an ongoing battle for me. I want to please Kevin. I don't always want to please God sometimes. So, but if I hear from brothers and sisters who are going, let me tell you how God moved. What I wanted to do, God had me do different. Praise God. That encourages my heart. That lets me know I can keep going. It worked for you. Thank you. It just encourages us. So he talks about bearing good fruit. Now, here's what I'm learning even at the age that I am. I didn't get this for the longest time. If I'm really tending my inner life, my inner being, I can't help but live out what I'm reading. My inner life will always cause me action. It always causes me action if I'm paying attention and obedient. So early church fathers and mothers often had this great inner life and were doing things for God. What's happened a lot in liberal denominations over the last 100, 150 years is that it just became a social gospel. Go out and do good things. But they weren't feeding their inner souls. And so it became works, what we need to do for God. And that became the, you know, the central kind of focus instead of feeding our inner souls. Because uh, Luke 6.45 says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's going on in my heart? All I have to do is kind of listen for what things I've been saying lately. So if we feed our inner being, action will come out of it. So you think about scripture and what it calls us to do to feed the poor, to make a cause for those who can't make cause for themselves, widows and elderly, helping all those people in need. It should come from our inner lives, not just solely to work for God, but because Paul is praying here that you bear fruit in every good way, it's because we're tending our inner lives. So it's kind of a two-pronged prayer. If we're tending our souls, we will bear fruit. We will bear fruit. So bearing fruit. At our church, we have as our mission statement to glorify God. That's a good one right there in itself. By making disciples who make a big deal of Jesus wherever we learn, work, or play. So it's all about making a big deal of Jesus. We have to feed our inner soul. And I loved what our pastor said years ago when he was starting at our church. He says, you know, we don't really need to be the best church in the community. We just need to be the best church for our community. And then he followed with this question. If our doors were to close for good, would anybody in our community miss us? Like, whew. So if we tend our inner being, we're going to bear fruit. And we can share with each other how God is using us. So bearing fruit is a demonstration of what God's doing internally in each of our lives. So are we praying for each other to have great inner lives that will bear much fruit for his glory? So we're going to move on 
Do you pray that you would all grow in the knowledge of God? You know, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. So in this day and age where knowledge is kind of the thing, isn't it? How many of you have already Googled something this morning for knowledge? Wikipedia, okay, so a couple of you. We're getting it. People are starting to raise their hands now. This is good. Oh, left my mark. <laughs> I love it. And so, you know, we've got Wikipedia and Google and, you know, artificial intelligence is going on now. And like, we are thirsty for knowledge, but the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is not enough. I'm pretty sure without knowing hardly anybody in this congregation this morning, you already have enough biblical knowledge for the rest of your life to live out in your life. You and I don't probably really need more knowledge. But Paul is praying that we would grow in our knowledge. In his case, for this church, it was so they could fight off the misteachings that were going on, the wrong doctrine, the wrong theology. So he's praying, hey, while you're getting this infiltrated in your church, I'm praying that you grow in your knowledge of God's word and of God so that you can really fight off what's coming into the church. Recently, I was listening to a podcast. And it was the beginning of a podcast, which uh, I believe that's called um, Practicing the Way by John Mark Comer. And one of the things he's talking about in this is really becoming apprentices of Jesus. And the guy who was interviewing, he says, well, why don't you just call them Christians instead of followers of the way or apprentices? He said, well, you have to understand in the early church, what, what, what would happen is the name Christian wasn't the original name for Christians. It was followers of the way. And most of the Christians that were Christians at that time were Jewish. Think about reversing that around in your head. But eventually, that word Christian became kind of a snarky, not really popular thing. If you were called a Christian, it wasn't a good thing at that time. Eventually, it became a good thing. Right? And so, today, when we think about Christians here in America, not what do you think about that, but what does the world, the other Americans in our country, think about Christians today? If we're honest, and this is what he said in the podcast, I'm quoting him. This is what most people think about Christians today. They're Trumpers, they're Christian nationalists, they're racists, they're bigots, um, they're white, um, privileged people. He goes, that's what most of Americans think about Christians today. So much like the early church, it's not necessarily a good thing, people. And then he rolled off the statistic. In spite of what Americans think about Christianity today, he said 70% of Americans still identify as Christian. But here was the statistic that got me. Only 4% are actually practicing their faith the way that Jesus did. 4%. 4%. Oh, my toes are stepped on. That hurts. I needed to hear that. And so Paul goes on here. I need to move on. In verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. I want to remind us all today that is not about you and I trying harder in our faith journey. It's about trusting God more. 
It's not about trying harder people. If that were the case, a lot of you type A people would be at the top of Christianity. It's about trusting God more. It's being strengthened according to his glorious might. And so I go to you, church. Are you praying that each of you are living under the power of God's glorious might through the Holy Spirit? Are you praying that for each other? If you were to look around in your congregation right now, in this sanctuary, would you see the faces of people who are struggling to endure in their faith? They're struggling to live this faith out daily. And, well, you're looking at one. <laughs> I get tired sometimes wondering if I'm really making a difference. Am I one of those 4%? I need prayers. I need people praying for me. That I would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. That, as Paul goes on to say here, that you can endure with great patience, joyfully giving thanks to God. So, as I'm looking out at you, I'm just going to say this because if you're looking at me, right? When he, Paul says, I'm praying that you joyfully give thanks to God. Sometimes I think we Christians, we need to tell our faces. Are you joyful about enduring with God and his glorious might? We need to tell our faces sometimes. I look around in cars, I look at grocery stores, I go, if 70% are saying they're Christians, why didn't they tell their face? It's like, you know, I just sucked a lemon for the morning. You know, that's some of our faces. And if anybody has a right to be joyful, it's we who believe in Jesus. We get to joyfully give thanks to God continually. Church, we need to let our faces know. Look what God's done here in these last few verses. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness into his glorious light. Anybody grow up watching the Peanuts Charlie Brown Christmas? Please raise your hands. Okay. All right, then you guys all know the happy, I call it the Charlie Brown happy dance. Remember when they're all up on the stage and, and uh, what's the little kid's boy who's playing the piano? Schroeder. Schroeder, Schroeder. He's playing the piano. And what's everybody doing? They're doing the happy dance. The happy dance. As Paul reflects on the strategic prayer, he's praying that we have endurance, that we joyfully are thankful. That's what he's calling us to. So as the world's looking in, they go, do I want that? Or what that most people see? So we're joyfully giving thanks. Why can we joyfully give thanks? Not only for what God's done here on earth, but our inheritance. My dad is going to be 93. Um, Karen lost both of her parents last year. My mom, about 10, 11 years ago, there wasn't much inheritance. There's not going to be a lot of inheritance. But my dad pays his bills. He got everything straightened out. He's good. But I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of inheritance. But we're just grateful that we have them, that we have the siblings that we have. We're joyful about that. But that's not what God's leaving us. He's leaving us an inheritance that he's saving for all of those who will be a part of the kingdom of light. If anybody should be doing a Peanuts joy dance, again, it ought to be us. Our inheritance. With Jesus, Paul says, I'm praying strategically for you to know this. That I go deep into your souls. That you would know how to pray for one another. 
to endure, to do it with joy, to grow in knowledge. Here again, near the end, he says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Grace covenant. How are you praying for each other? Are you only praying circumstantially? Paul is challenging you. He's challenging me. We should be praying also strategically. And throughout all the epistles, Paul is giving us insight into how we can pray for one another. So as I close in prayer, we're going to do a moment of silent prayer. And then I'll close. I want you to think of one person who's either here this morning, so look around, go ahead. Some of you that are in the front rows aren't seeing those that are behind you. So look around. Who can you see? Ask God to show. You need to turn your faces around, so look around. <laughs> Who is it that God may be drawing you to pray for strategically over this next minute? And maybe somebody's not here that you haven't seen in a while, that you miss who thinks maybe nobody's even realizing they've been gone. That's a strategic prayer. So we're going to take a minute to pray silently, and you're going to pray strategically for somebody either in this sanctuary or someone who's not here. And then I'll close this. Let's pray. Father God, in spite of me jumping all over the place this morning, I pray that your word went through. That what this congregation heard this morning is the importance of praying strategically for one another. Praying strategically for those outside of these walls. That we would make a big deal of you. So God, may your word penetrate our hearts to action. Not just knowledge, but action to live out our faith. And so God, I thank you for each person who was just prayed for. And I thank you for the prayer. And now God, as we finish our service today, may you be glorified. And all God's people say, Amen.